0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis this morning, the book of Genesis, chapter 25, Genesis chapter 25. We are in the midst, if you are new this morning, in the midst of a series called Anticipation. This is a time in our culture where we are anticipating Christmas. And what we're doing in this study of the first book of the Bible is we're seeing how the coming of Christ was anticipated through six of the major characters in the book of Genesis. So we've looked at how Christ was anticipated through Christmas Adam's story, and Noah's story, and Abraham's story, and Isaac's story, and this morning, Jacob's story. So we're going to begin in chapter 25 and look at various texts for the next several chapters in Genesis as we look at Jacob's story and how we see Jesus in his story. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would bless your people today, through your Word. We pray that your Spirit would get behind your Word right now and that Christ would be lifted up and that we would be drawn to Christ. Father, we thank you for how encouraging Jacob's story is to us on so many levels. We see a life that's full of flaws, all kinds of mistakes. There's a lot of sin but yet we see that You were able to graciously come to Him and meet Him and do transforming things in Him and mighty things through Him. And that gives sinners like us a lot of encouragement. And so we pray that You would speak to Your people right now. Rid us of anything that would distract. Help us to focus on You. These are crucial moments where You desire to meet with us. Right now, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One prominent Bible scholar, N.T. Wright, says this about Scripture It's a big book full of big stories and big characters. They have big ideas, not least about themselves, and make big mistakes. It's about God and greed and grace, about life, lust, laughter, and loneliness. It's about birth, beginnings, and betrayal. About siblings, squabbles, and sex. About power, and prayer, and prison, and passion. (laughs) And that's only Genesis. And we've seen in our study of Genesis so far, just about everything on that list, with the exception of prison. And we're going to see that next week when we look at Joseph's story. But the fact that the characters in the Bible are so flawed really should give us a lot of encouragement because we can see that despite all the flaws and foibles and mistakes and sins that the characters in the Bible make, God in His grace is able to meet them and do amazing transforming things in their lives, and through their lives. Now that should give sinners like you and me a lot of encouragement, <laughs> that a gracious God can come to us and do great things in us and through us. There's something else that the authenticity of the Bible does, and that is that it really increases our confidence In the truthfulness of the Bible. After all, if we opened up our Bibles and we read about perfect people, we would know that we're not really reading the truth. We would know that's not the whole story because that's not real life. But you see, the biblical authors have no desire whatsoever to to shield us from the sins of the people in the Bible. Far from that, they don't want to gloss over anything, any of their sins, because their sins only serve to highlight the central point of the Bible, which is the fact that we need a Savior. We need a rescuer from outside of ourselves. The answers are not going to come from within us. They've got to come from outside of us. We need a Savior, and the message is that God has provided such a Savior. And we see that even in the first book of the Bible, and we see it in Jacob's story. Let's check out his story this morning. Jacob's life is it's like a roller coaster in a way. When you read these chapters in Genesis that deal with Jacob's life, I mean, it is up and down. There are all kinds of bends in the road it's a tortured life in a lot of ways. And Jacob brings a lot of his problems on himself. But yet God comes to him and God does a great thing in him and God is going to do a great thing through him. There's a lot to be encouraged by in this story. So what do we see as we anticipate Christ through Jacob's story? The first thing we see is a very contested birth. Let's look at chapter 25 and verses 21-21. And 22, and Isaac, whose story we looked at last time, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, when it says in verse 22 that the children, these twins, Jacob and Esau, struggled within her, literally in Hebrew it says they smashed themselves together within her. Rebecca's womb has become a battlefield to the point that she cries out to God God, why is this happening? What is happening? What is happening inside of me? She she felt at points as if life could barely go on. God, what are you doing to me? What's happening here? Well, this was no mere difficult pregnancy. The violence in Rebecca's womb was really like a harbinger of the conflict that was going to come in the future between these two boys. We continue in chapter 25. It says, When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, family relationships are are often complicated anyway, and parent-child relationships are often complicated. But if you throw in favoritism into the mix, then you've really got a recipe for conflict, for dysfunction. And that's what we have in this family as Rebecca favors Jacob and, and Isaac favors Esau. And this is going to cause all kinds of problems. The next thing we see in, in the story is a very controversial blessing. We see it in chapter 27. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. And this is no mere casual blessing. It's not like he wants Esau to come in and serve him and he's going to say, God bless you for doing this, son. It's not like a casual blessing like we would think of. This is a formal blessing. A formal, irrevocable blessing that was to set the stage for the rest of Esau's life. But as he's speaking these words, someone else is listening. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you Before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. Yikes! This is a dysfunctional family, right? I mean, this is crazy deception, just flat out deceit on Rebecca's part. But they go through with it. Rebekah and Jacob go through with their plan. Blind Isaac blesses Jacob instead of the son he intended to bless, Esau, with very predictable results. What happens? Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away. So, Rebekah, fearing that Esau is going to kill Jacob, sends Jacob away to her brother Laban in Haran. Well, in a way, this is sort of poetic justice (laughs) because in... Laban, Jacob is going to meet his match. Uh, Jacob has nothing on Uncle Laban when it comes to Machiavellian schemes, because he's about to step into Laban's spider web. The two of them were a lot of a lot alike. But so he sent away, headed to Haran. But before he gets to Haran, he stops in the night. And he has this amazing encounter with God. That's the third part that we see in the story. Stairway in the night. Chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was... A ladder. Now, when you think of a ladder, don't think the ladder like we think of in our culture. Think about more like a stairway. Think of more like a, a ziggurat with a stair, like a tower with a stairway going up. That's probably the image here. There was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God. We're ascending and descending on it. Now, in chapter 11 of Genesis, which we haven't covered so far, all the people of the world get together and they decide, we're going to build a stairway to heaven. We're going to build this stairway and it's going to reach from the ground all the way up. The Tower of Babel. And their motivation for doing it was completely messed up. What was their motivation for building the Tower of Babel? They said, hey, let's get together and build this tower, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. It's going to be all about us, about our glory. So their motivation was messed up, and their theology was messed up, because they were saying, hey, we can we can reach God by building this thing from the ground up. We're going to make our way up to God. But we can't do that. A gracious God has to make His way down to us. That's what Christianity is about. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Emmanuel. God with us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God became a human being. Christianity is not about good people working their way up to God. It's about a gracious God making His way down to sinners like us who need a Savior. Religion, as you've heard me say before, is spelled D-O. It's what people do to try to work their way up to make themselves acceptable to God. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's what God has done in making it down to us. God becoming a human being. Living the perfect life that we could never live. And taking all of our sins upon Himself on the cross. Paying the penalty for them. And rising from the dead so that we can have eternal life. We don't build that stairway to heaven. God has built it. God's come down to us. Now Jesus, in the first chapter of John, refers to Jacob's dream. He tells his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, who bridges the gulf between earth and heaven? Jesus does. Jesus is the stairway. God comes down to us. We can't make our way up to him. Look at verses 13 and 14. And behold, the Lord stood above it. God's at the top of the stairway. And he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, again, does this sound familiar? This is the same promise, right, that God made to Abraham and then to Isaac, and now He's repeating it to Jacob. And the promise is that through His offspring, Jesus, that every people group on earth is going to be blessed. And how does that happen? It ha- Matthew 28 tells us how it happens. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, of every people group, so that one day, every tongue and tribe, as we see in Revelation 7, is going to be gathered around the throne together and singing praises to Jesus. So today, in our in-gathering, as we give toward our Lottie Moon offering, we are participating in the fulfillment of this promise in Genesis 28, 14. We're a part of it. We're not observers. We're not spectators. We are participants in this promise. Jacob's blown away. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob has had this powerful encounter with the living God. And he's going to need to draw strength from that because he is headed into some trials as he heads to the house of Laban. Well, what happens there? He goes to Laban's house, falls head over heels in love with one of his daughters, Rachel. So the deal was he was to work seven years and then he could marry Rachel. And he loved her so much it says that seven years just went by like a day. But then what happens? Laban tricks him, gives him Leah, another daughter, instead of Rachel. And if he's going to marry Rachel, he's going to have to work an additional seven years for her, which he does. But finally, Jacob gets to the point where the conflict between he and Laban, both of them trying to out-trick the other, has just gotten so bad that Jacob just says to his family, we're out of here. We're leaving. But he knows what that means. That means he's going to have to face his brother again. He's going to have to face Esau Again. And the last time he was around Esau, Esau was comforting himself by the thought of killing his brother one day. Well, the years have gone by and Esau has forgiven Jacob. But Jacob doesn't know that yet. And so the night before, he is to meet his brother once again. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He has another encounter with the living God during the night. Struggle in the night. We see it in chapter 32. That same night is the night before he meets Esau. He arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Notice that both times that God meets with Jacob, it happens when he's alone. The first time that it happened, he was on his way to Haran. He was fleeing from his brother. And he didn't know what the future held for him. And he was completely alone and vulnerable. And now he's in the same position once again. He's going to meet Esau the next day. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed. He doesn't know what the future holds. He is vulnerable and he is, he's alone in the night. There's a message here for us and, and that is that ultimately the only way that we meet God and come to know Christ as Savior is we've got to, that's got to be a personal thing. We may be blessed enough to be raised in a Christian home and we may be blessed enough to be raised in a great church but ultimately we've got to make a personal decision. We can't Trust in Christ by proxy. It's got to be between us and the Lord. It's got to come from our heart. And a lot of times that happens when God gets us to the end of ourselves. When we're vulnerable. When we're alone. We open up our lives to the God who says, I'll come to you and I'll never leave you or forsake you. Both times... When Jacob meets God, he's alone and he's, he's vulnerable. He's been humbled. So what's happening here? What's this wrestling match with, with God in human form? I mean, what's that, what's that all about? We'll think about it. What what's Jacob's whole life been about? His whole life has been about struggle, right? He struggled with his brother, he struggled with his dad, he struggled with his uncle. But in a deeper way, Jacob's life has been a struggle with God. His whole life, Jacob has been about trying to do life on his own. His whole thing in life has been to rely upon himself. To get through by his own wits and his own cleverness and his own schemes. He certainly hasn't been relying on God, but, but now he is in a position where he's, he's going to have to rely upon God. That's what the whole thing with putting out his hip is all about. God lets this wrestling match go on to a certain point, and then God just goes, whoop, just touches his hip and puts it out of socket so that a, all a helpless Jacob can do is cling. Just cling to God and say, I'm I'm not going to let go until You bless me. I need You. God, I've got to have You. Now, that's where God has been trying to get him all of his life. And that's where God seeks to get us. That's where we need to be. We need to get to the point in our lives where we reach the end of ourselves. And where there's a brokenness. And where we abandon all of our attempts to do life apart from God and we get to the point in our lives where we humble ourselves and say, God, I can't make it without You. I've got to have You. I've got to have Your blessing." The world throws broken things away, but God doesn't use people until He breaks them. We've got to get to that point where we're humbled. We're at the end of ourselves. we say, "Lord, I've got to have you. I've got to have your blessing." We want that blessing to come to every single person on this Earth. We want to be a part of the promise. The fulfillment of the promise that God made to Jacob that eventually every people group on earth would be blessed through His offspring. His offspring was Jesus. And our assignment now is to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We were blessed to be born into a country where we have so much access to the Gospel but there are billions of people who have little or no access to the gospel. And our assignment from King Jesus is to reach them. To reach them. And through the in-gathering that we're about to take part in, we are a part of that. Of coming alongside our King and obeying Him and joyfully fulfilling the assignment that He's given to His people. Let's pray together as we prepare to do that. Father, we thank you for Jacob's story. We thank you for how in the stories, really, of all of these characters in Genesis, we can see elements of our own stories. And we thank you for how we can see Jesus through their stories. And Father, we thank you for the fact that you have got a larger story that runs throughout your word, and that is the gospel. And you haven't been so clear about what our assignment is at this point. We are to take the gospel to men and women, boys and girls, not only here in our community, but literally to the ends of the earth. Father, we thank You for a missionary force of almost 5,000 International Mission Board missionaries and their families that are engaged literally across the globe in reaching into the hardest places, the darkest places, and shining the light of the gospel there we get to be a part of shining that light with them as we support them through this offering today would you bless it or would we have the joy of meeting people in heaven one day that were impacted by the fact that we gave and that you gave your son for us we pray it in his name I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.